up really soon. College ministry is going to be uh, in full swing. Let's say we have freshmen that move in um, August 16th. So I guess a little plug in for that. Uh, they changed move-in day for Faulkner from a Saturday to a Friday. Uh, and I know I look forward to you guys helping. And so if anybody wants to help out that Friday morning to help students move in, it's a good show of uh, Dalreda to let them see our love and care for them. And I know that means a lot to families. Uh, for those that have moved in, college students before, um, or have moved out people from your house, uh, you know the necessity of having people to help you. And so that, that really does help. And we go up to the girls' dorm because they seem to carry like three truckloads versus the guys that can just cram it all in their car for one semester. Uh, so August 16th, if you are free that Friday, We'd appreciate the help. I'll get some more details about what time they want to start and what we can do specifically. But if you can take off, um, I know that probably wouldn't be one of the things you want to take off for. But if you are around and want to help out and uh, do that, that would mean a lot to our students. So summer's coming to a close. Uh, we'll be shifting gears here really soon. I know things will change a little bit at Dalreda with college students in here. Really excited about that. So be praying for um, connections that we'll make this fall, uh, students that are coming in not just at Faulkner, but any of our colleges, those that decide to be here. Um, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a lot coming into college, moving away from your family or just being in a different place from your family. And so let's pray about them and that we'll be able to provide a home for students as they're here. Uh, so before we begin class, let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we come before you thanking you so much for uh, the time that you have provided for us where we can study your word, where we can think together and we can challenge one another, but uh, so that we can really go into the world and have productive conversations about your word. Pray that you will be with us as a church as we are looking forward to opportunities to serve and to, uh, to follow you. Pray that you'll be with the college students that are going to be moving in soon, that uh, you will help them to be able to find their home in you, and that if possible that They'll find a place where they can belong here at Dalreda. Help us to reach out to not only them, but anyone else that we come in contact with to let them show, uh, let them see uh, your love that you have shown to us here. We thank you so much for Jesus. Be with us in this time of study. Praise to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are continuing our discussion on uh, Christian ethics and abortion. I hope that uh, some of the things that we talked about last week has sparked discussions uh, within your family, within you personally, maybe you did some extra research. Maybe uh, you decided to have a conversation with someone at work to see what they think about it and see if you can start interjecting some uh, scripture or some godly thoughts into people's lives. And so it's a continuation. I know some of the topics that we talked about, I had a general outline when we first began this class of what topics I wanted to cover and you know maybe hitting on them periodically, but I'm willing to spend as much time as necessary, but I do uh, expect for us to close this topic uh, specifically today. I think that we'll be able to cover the main parts that we need to so that next week what we're going to get into is capital punishment and looking at arguments there and building our case, uh, going to top rung issues which, uh, concerning what God has to say. But I hope that this has sparked conversations though on this topic. I know it's one that we're probably the most familiar with, that we probably have a lot built up uh, just in general, a lot of knowledge concerning abortion because of its impact, uh, socially, emotionally, spiritually, all of those things together, uh, there's a lot that we think about. So just from our conversations last week, just out of curiosity, did you go and read anything else? Did you find any more? We dealt, uh, we dealt with a lot of statistics last week. Some of y'all pulled up some things. I appreciate that. But just in general, have you been thinking about it anymore? Anything else come up to you 
Uh, any thoughts that you have as we begin class, uh, maybe to spark a little bit of discussion? What have you been thinking about this topic? Have you had a chance to talk to anybody about this topic? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so Wesley made the point that um, how this argument's going right now in our society, a lot of the times it is based off of science first, then higher matters later, of deciding what is life, when life begins, the value of life, all that kind of stuff. That is from a scientific perspective. And if you start there, it's not the right premise. Uh, you're going to end up in places you don't need to be. And so you're absolutely right. Um, that uh, that's where a lot of this uh, discussion is going first and foremost. Yeah. Okay. Chris said that uh, he had come across some article at some point about them finding life um, on Mars, a bacteria. Getting excited about that, but then not calling a, a life in the womb a life. Um, and so just the consistency there, um, maybe that will help our argument. <laughs> you know, if they're willing to say that bacteria is life, then, you know, come on over and let's talk about life um, in real matters. Okay. What else? Any other discussions? Did you have a chance to talk to somebody maybe that you normally would not have talked to, uh, but you were able to interject? Yeah. So yeah, um, getting a lot of information just about uh, when does life begin in personhood and seeing what laws will be covered uh, for you know babies in the womb. When do they get certain um, freedoms? And our discussion last week, we were talking about the 14th Amendment. Who does that cover and what does that cover? Um, so there's a lot, and I hope that this has sparked, like I said, more discussion within you know your realm, but also as we can minister to others. Let me jump in a little bit to where we have been, where we want to go. I want to jump to this quote before we get to a slide that we dealt with last week. I was just doing some general reading and uh, not necessarily in scholarly realms, just what are people feeling, what are people saying. And uh, This is one of the quotes that I came across, and I want to think about it for a second. Within the context of a specific woman's life, the moral consequences of having a child can be equal to, if not greater than, the moral consequences of having an abortion. What are some observations that you have about this, this comment? What sticks out to you about what's being said here? How can you even compare... Okay. 
So yeah, how can you even uh, put the two together and equate them? What else? Yeah, and, and so that's the that's what's kind of built behind this is this idea of what Josh is bringing up is that um, it would be morally wrong to allow a child to be brought up in a home that maybe there is no love that it's uh, brought up in a impoverished situation. Or, you know, it would not be able to have a full and thriving life. And it would be better to take their life than to interject them into something, inject them into a situation like that. And so that's part of where this comment would be coming from is that that's just as moral of a, a factor than, you know, deciding if they need to be born or not. What kind of situation would they be injected into? Okay, so you can't predict what the future is going to be. So just because a, a child is brought up in a maybe in a home or they are brought into a home that may not be the best doesn't mean that they will always be there or that there's not possibilities and things could change. Absolutely. I believe in God and I believe in his word and that it has the power to change lives. And I think a lot of hope and promise can be brought to people in situations. Okay. Yeah, Daniel. All right, so yeah, in regard to the, the conversation, um, people that are going through uh, abortions, what is their reasoning behind it? Not just on a moral level, but on a social level of, you know, I don't want to have a child because of... Yeah, so you know, from what uh, Daniel was saying is that there are some people socially that they're going to say, um, you know, I didn't want to have the responsibility of raising this child. Um, I didn't, you know, that's just not something I'm prepared for right now. And so they make a decision off that. It's a social thing, but really it's a sin thing of choosing one sin 
as the you know, main prerogative of a decision. But you still go back to the value of a life. And that's where we started last week of determining what that really is. And valuing life and then considering other uh, points along with it. Okay? Uh, Jim's hand went up first and I'll come back to you, Jeremy. Yeah, so what Jim is saying is that, you know, trying to decide, well, you know, I don't want to bring this child up in this situation. It may be, you know, it would be more wrong for them to be in this situation than, you know, to abort them. That That's very subjective. Um, even going back to, to George, uh, your comment is that um, we don't know the future, but I do know who holds the future and who can make changes. And so, I mean, it's very subjective when you look at you know, our level of poverty here in, you know, in comparison to another nation, um, what other people are going through. So you can kind of have a little bit of an idea there of, all right, really, what are we dealing with? Um, but those are arguments being used. I mean, that, that's definitely out there of what people are talking about. And this all comes back to us being effective in ministry. How can we evangelize? How can we speak to people? Jeremy? So Jeremy made this point is that um, moral character is shown before, you know, looking at the other ones. It is a snowball effect, a lot of what sin leads to. But statistically, you said that in 2015, that 86% of abortions uh, nationwide or in state or. Okay, um, nationally, 86% of abortions were to um, single mothers. Um, or out of wedlock. Um, we're looking at the statistic there. Um, and that was pairing off of what Daniel said. Yeah.
You know, I mean, you make a very good point of, you know, consider, for whatever reason, um, a teenager that is pregnant in the church, within um, the church, and thinking about how they would be treated, and, and knowing the context behind this. Um, and actually, uh, like I said, I was just pulling some different articles, and uh, this came from a Christian making, the title of it was a Christian trying to make um, plausible reasons for an abortion, and... Um, but, you know, thinking about a situation like that, how we surround and help someone, you know, as they're going through uh, a pregnancy out of wedlock uh, early in life based off of bad decisions, two wrongs don't make a right, is that what can we do to help? How can we reach out as a church to build up um, and forgive and to help someone? One of the, the comments that I was thinking just through this and what they were saying, should abortion be isolated as a topic in a moral discussion? Can you just think about abortion by itself, or do you have to consider everything together? And you do have to consider everything, but it's so that we can be more effective, so that we can help. That if someone is going through this, how do we really minister? If someone is thinking about a decision, and they have a lot of bad decisions in their life, how do we help all of them together? And that's, that's where we have to be on our toes, and we have to be prepared to be the church and to be Jesus to them. Forgiveness is powerful. And, I mean, just from our statistics, whichever way we've looked at it, look at the number of abortions that we've had in our nation in recent years, in the you know most recent year. You know, we're halfway through, just shy of halfway through. And think about the number of abortions. And think about our conversations with people who have made that decision. Now, not knowing the, the context of everyone here, uh, knowing that there are a lot of private things, but just thinking how many people we may have come across recently that have made this decision, how do we show them forgiveness? Not just us, of like, I forgive you and we put ourselves in a place of power, but how do we show them God's forgiveness so that we can be the church to them? Um, I think that's asking the right kind of questions because people are going to make bad decisions. Sadly, we see a lot of you know, numbers about this kind of decision, but there are other things involved with it. This is, the topic of abortion by itself is not in a vacuum. Um, there are other decisions that lead up to it, and there are results that come from it. Um, we need to be thinking holistically. So uh, let's go in a little bit more and think about, um, see, this is where we were uh, last week. And this goes to the ministry standpoint. Uh, and we'll get to the scriptures in just a, a moment that just shore up our, 
our stance on it already, largely uh, our stance, but I just wanted to go and have these up for our discussion a little bit more. I think we, uh, we ended with these and we didn't get into a full discussion. But some objections, uh, what are out there, um, this is coming from our systems. You go back to how we were thinking about ethics in general, is that everyone has a system of how they're applying their decisions and what they want to do. And these are some things that people may say. Um, you know, who has the rights and who has the, the freedoms to make those decisions? Who really is in power? Um, when you think about this, okay, let's not just... Um, Let's not just think about the arguments by themselves. What scriptures, just outside of the abortion topic itself, okay, so not, you know, what scriptures talk about, you know, life at conception or whatever that may be, but just in general, what scriptures come to your mind that can give ease and relief, that can help people make the right decisions in the midst of one of these scenarios? What comes to your mind? All right, Psalm 139. Why? So Psalm 139, 14, where it talks about we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Not just understanding when life is brought into existence, God knows that, but we have care for humans, for one another. You know, why do we love other people? Is it just because the Bible tells me love your neighbor as yourself, or do we have something that connects us? Well, I think about the image of God. We're made in the image of God. That there is some kind of understanding of that, that we want to do more, we want to help others. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We realize that of other individuals, what more can we do? And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Psalm 139 is a good example of that. But what other verse comes to your mind when you think about ministering or helping someone that may make these statements scripturally? Yeah, the, the Bible is filled with examples of people who have made mistakes, yet God is able to use them. David's primary example there. Um, but I mean, just all over, you think about Judah. If you haven't read um, Genesis 38 in a while, and look at some of Judah's decisions about how his child was born. People make bad decisions, but then you find a way, God finds a way to help in each one of those. Um, absolutely. So the Bible, yes, as a narrative, as a whole, it helps in that. Show people have made mistakes, but God is able to redeem them. Take that away and turn it into something better. Okay? What else? Yeah. Um, you think about the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew 5, 21. Any of the passages in there, God gives these directions, but then he also goes further. It's not just the act itself. Don't even hate. Don't, you know... Um, don't put down others, that it's a deeper matter. It's not just the action. 
It's the intent. It's the salt and light quality, as we've talked about. Yeah, Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. In context, you look at the birds of the air, you look at the flowers, God takes care of them. Can he take care of you that has given you life? I think we need to be prepared. And I'm going to put a challenge before us as a church. Are we prepared as a church in offering help to those that are in poverty? I want to just think about that for a moment. We could spend a whole class on this, and this is not the purpose of the class, but it's going to your point that are we prepared as a church to help people that are not in the same financial status as us, that are going through poverty, that are compounding maybe bad decisions on top of each other? Do we have positive things in place to be able to help them? That's, you know, we can discuss that later. It's not for discussion out here necessarily, but I want us to think about that. Are we, are we prepared as a church? help people in situations like that, that we have kids being born into homes that they may not know if they can provide for them and give them what they need. Are we there to help? Something to think about. Yes. Yeah, so Josh made the point that some may misuse the scriptures, turn them around like Job's plight where he says, you know, it would have been better for me never to have been born. Um, or Jesus talking about uh, Judas and, and the situation there. Um, that's some deep theology and philosophy that you can get into. But here's the simple response, thinking about Job. Job's being emotional. You can't get past that. That he is in a... The situation that Job is in, I can't even imagine. I read it. I can look at the facts. I can give you, you know, how many children he lost, how, you know, how much uh, possessions and all this kind of stuff. But think about a man that's getting all this advice from people and just saying all these things. There's things that he's just speaking out of turn. And you know he's speaking out of turn when God tells him, Job, I'm going to need you to sit down. I need you to look. 
And so God goes on this discussion for a number of chapters around Job 35. Job, stop talking. Sit down. Let me show you. Look at this. 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 Look at creation. I take care of everything that you take advantage of that you don't even pay attention to. What can I do for you? It's after that that you get to the end of Job where Job looks and he said, Look, I've known about you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes see you. Um, this topic, we can look at it factually and we can make factual um, and objective statements, but we also have to put in line with it, it is emotional. And people are making emotional decisions, and emotional decisions are not always the best, um, and we need to be prepared for that. Yeah, we need to, you know, there's always a challenge. We need to step up our game of counseling. And, you know, and one of the arguments just turned back on Christianity, whether you really consider the validity of it or not, is that people turn back and say, okay, if you're so passionate about the abortion thing, then why are you not doing more to help people that are having kids but aren't able to take care of them? And it is something to think about. Um, that doesn't negate the, the moral side of it or not, but it does challenge us on a, conviction standpoint of, okay, if we are passionate about this, what more can we do? And there is a lot to be done. And so uh, I appreciate your comments on that. And it, it's encouraging to think about this because, like I said, with this topic in general, um, I think we're prepared to discuss this, but we need to be prepared to discuss it with the right kind of people, those that are going through it. Um, and let's really think about how to minister. The arguments our society are using um, are very weak, but they seem just over and over again, people just firing stuff at us, uh, really challenge us to think all the way through it. But what it should bring to light is that 
it's not just one decision, it's multiple decisions together that make this. Um, you know, when I, I'm training our kids and you guys that have trained or training right now, you realize that, you know, when they're younger, you're, you know, you're on top of them, you're helping them to make, you know, those little small decisions because they compound into the bigger decisions. Um, that's foresight, looking down the road of, you know, trying to get her to clean up, you know, Kenley to clean up after breakfast and put her bowl away. Okay, by itself, what's the big deal? But what compounded with other things, what will that lead to? Um, every decision is compounded with other decisions. Um, and that's why I, I think when we talk about virtue ethics, what kind of person do I want to be? You may look at a decision and say, well, scriptures don't say anything about that. It, you know, it's, it's amoral. There's nothing. But what does that say about who you are? What does that say about your your passion and your desire for God to go and do more and be more. So uh, shifting from that, let's just think uh, for the, on the scriptures for a little while, some things that we've already mentioned um, and the things that we can use. Uh, I don't know if that popped up. There it goes. I'm calling them top rung discussions. As we're going up our ladder, uh, our ethical ladder that we've built so far, we're going to the top of what is God saying about this and, and what is natural law? How do those balance together? What God has embedded within us People are saying, okay, well, you know, a child in the womb, it's not really a child. It's just a lump of cells until a certain developmental stage, and then it can be considered a person or not. So here's some passages. Um, you may think of some others, and uh, you're welcome to pull those in as well. But I put this under God's role in human formation. What is God's role? Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says this, Before I uh, formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to a prophet to the nations. Now, I understand contextually, God is talking about Jeremiah that he has raised up as a prophet. God had a specific plan for Jeremiah as a prophet. The same way he did for other prophets, and the same way you sit in the New Testament, uh, God designed them and put them in a certain place for this purpose. That's what he's saying here. But it does give us a hint, and it does give us an insight into God's role in human formation. Not just for the prophets, but if God really does care for us, if he cares for us more than the birds of the air and the grass of the fields, he has a divine hand in formation. Correct? He has a, a plan overall for us. Uh, you know, it's the discussions that people get into about predestination and wherever you want to go with that. I believe, like it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8, God has predestined all people to be in heaven with him. That's his plan. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anybody to be lost, but all to be saved, everyone to come to a knowledge of truth. God's plan is for us to be with Him. But we've chose to be with our own selves, which has put us in a precarious situation if we don't have God. And so God's plan overall is for humans uh, to dwell with Him. That's what He wants. Isaiah 49, verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servants. Psalm 139, 13. I think I said 14 earlier, but 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made is where he goes to after that. I do believe that there is a strong case to be made for God's role in human formation. We're created in his image. We are his possession. And he chose to take on the form of flesh and to dwell among us to show us the value of life. Let's start here and then I'll go to you, Jim.
Yeah. Um, what Josh was saying from a genetic standpoint, that when the sperm and the egg are formed together in a zygote, that at that point, when those come together, that it creates a genetically unique individual from the spark of life at that point. It's genetically unique that there is no other like it. I mean, just looking at it from a genetic standpoint, um, allowing that to go even further into how the, the formation of life God develops from that point on, <laughs> he goes on, he builds it, and he makes it. Um, so yeah, from a genetic level, there's some cool things to really go into scientifically there. So look at the end of the stories throughout the Bible that talk about people becoming pregnant and the joy that they have there. It is an illustration, you know, think about John the Baptist, Jesus, and Hannah, and all the way back. You can look at all of them. Look at the, the joy and the understanding about God filling the womb versus the, the conversations about the, uh, the closed womb and just the value of life from that point on. Um, just from an illustration in the Bible, think about those. So this is going to take us to the next part of it. Um, nope, let's go back. Oh, it has a heading. It's just called Top Rung Discussions. But uh, considering personhood in Scripture, the protection of the unborn, not just you know what does God have to say about the formation of life, but what does he have to say about protecting that life? Exodus 21, 22 through 23 says, when, man, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her, child, um, her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the man's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judge determined. But if there is harm, then he shall pay life for life. So you have within the law itself a little bit of an insight into what people are saying. Um, and it, In Exodus, the law that's here... Uh, I didn't copy it over to this slide. Let me go back. And let me look at uh, what some other people are saying. This is just for your benefit. That not just the Old Testament law within uh, Exodus, but Josephus talks about the law, moreover, enjoins us to bring up all our offspring and forbids women to cause abortion of what is begotten or to destroy it afterwards. And if any woman appears to have done so, she'll be a murderer of the child by destroying a living creature and diminishing humankind. The Talmud, so the, the oral law of the Jews um, coming in the 3rd and sixth, third through 6th century talks about uh, a lot of different laws in there uh, talking about abortion. And on the authority, uh, let's see, talking about the uh, murdering of an embryo. Um, and it cites the whoever sheds the blood of a man with a man, his blood shall be uh, shed. Talking about the Old Testament law about taking someone else's life. Um, throughout church history, people are making the same arguments. And it's just amazing to me that when you get to where we are right now, we've come up with new arguments. You know, everybody's seeing it differently. Well, even outside of Christianity, we, we you can look through the Jewish literature and the Christian literature, but go outside of that and look at some other laws that you know predate some of the things that we know that they were talking about, the value of life and not aborting. There's this general consensus among humanity that in the womb, 
is a life. Um, and if you want to get into the nuts and bolts about, you know, when it begins, all that kind of stuff, just look, if you're coming at it from an ethical standpoint outside of Christianity, we take care of humanity. That's where people are going to go. You know, it's what, what best fits humanity. Um, what have people said from the beginning of time to where we are and how all of a sudden things are a little different? Humans are humans. Um, and luckily science is helping us to get back in the right direction at, at times and people misuse it, but it really is helping us understand life better. So yeah, you look, uh, even comments in the first and second century, and you can find um, a few articles out there pulling those in if you just want to have those database for yourself. But yeah, there's a lot, you know, even from the first and second century, you know, Christian tradition of how people were viewing this topic. And it is fascinating how, not just within the secular realm of um, arguments and how they've evolved because of science and all this kind of stuff, but looking at how people are approaching just Christian topics in general, like, Seeing the evolution of those, you know, um, you'd mentioned, you know, women's roles in the church. You know, people are looking back on scripture and they're saying, well, we've come so far as a society that, you know, it's different from the biblical times. And so it's not the same principles that apply to us. It's different. And they're doing that with moral topics as well. We live in a different time where we've discovered more. Therefore, you know, the Bible's antiquated. It doesn't really apply in the same kind of way. It's just a general you know, thing for them at that time. And we can take those principles, but what it all comes down to is you love God first. And then he'll help you regardless of whatever you do. Um, and sadly, that was one of the articles that I saw was to that tune. Um, you know, God just, he wants to take care of you regardless of whatever you do. Um, he just wants to do what's best for you. It's out there. Um, and so you can find some articles uh, that will speak of those things. Last point that I want to drive home on this is in Psalm 82, 3 through 4. And this is echoed all the way through the New Testament as well. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Not just for the sake of the, the life in the womb, but of the individual. Overall, what can we do to help? What can we do to minister? Um, concerning this topic, uh, 
There's a lot to be said, and I realize that in this not exhaustive uh, study on it. In no way, this is to spark our interest, what more can we do? But this is going to lead into our discussion next week on capital punishment. So I'd encourage you to do some reading um, outside of Christianity as well. Think about arguments being used and what do the scriptures have to say as well. And we'll come in next week uh, ready to discuss that. So I appreciate you guys.